0: This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube and Twitter at 5pm Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lended Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton. I'm chairman and co-founder of Lended Fintech here with my good friend and colleague, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I am good, Peter. How are you? Doing great. And we have a special guest today, the esteemed Ron Shevlin from Cornerstone Advisors. How are you doing, Ron?
1: I'm doing great. Good to be with you guys again. Yeah, likewise. Good to have
0: you back. Yep. So let's get right into it because we've got a busy, busy week of news, and I want to get started with actually something from Friday of last week that uh, that broke. The Google story, the Google Plex is is no longer really, really interesting. I know you you got something out really quickly on that, Ron. So why don't you just tee us up and tell us uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what what you found.
1: Yeah. Well, first, let me give you like the little secret because somebody had emailed me and said, "How did you get an article?" Yeah, out so was, quickly? I, was, I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> and the the reality is is that I had that article written months ago, ready for the release. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for them to release it when I was going to publish that, and then they killed it. Right. So all I had to do was really change a little bit of the intro of my story to instead of, hey, today Google released its new Google Plex. So today it, it killed it, and here's what okay. it could have been. So uh I was kind of a little bit bummed, but but here's the story. Uh you know, two it's coming up on two years ago that Google had announced it was going to Launch a checking account and do it not directly to consumers, but do it through financial institutions. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of a really good strategy. Um, you know, they, the, the big tech companies don't want to be regulated as a financial provider. It would have they would how would they have done it? They would have had to do it like you know a Chime or any other challenger bank and get in the bank. But they want to be a a vendor to banks. You know, they've got the cloud services. They've got AI-based lending tools, they, they see themselves as a provider of services to financial services, not a co- co- competitor. And so it was a very innovative product on paper, at least, mm-hmm. and at least from what the uh, they had, had announced and from some of the screenshots, you know, some really interesting things about how it was inter- in, in, integrated with Google Pay. And ultimately I thought, man, this could be really cool in terms of how they might integrate a checking account into the browser altogether Uh, but you know they had first they announced it would come out in 2020 then late last year they announced it was going to be more like q3 of this year and uh, when q3 came and went it was funny uh last week earlier in the week i had actually emailed my um, press contact at google and said hey uh any updates on on the product and didn't hear anything from them and i I probably could have looked really smart had I gone out to Twitter and LinkedIn middle of last week and said, Hey, I think something's up with Google and I don't think they're going to be launching this thing. (laughs) Imagine how good that would have sounded two days before they actually killed it. But ultimately I think there's one thing for sure that killed it. And one thing that I'm not so sure, but I'm speculating about. And the one thing I'm pretty sure that really killed it was the lack of internal uh, sponsorship uh, at the executive level. Um, uh, was it Caesar Sengupta, is that his last name? I'm, I'm sorry yep. if I'm getting that wrong, but Caesar is definitely his first name, who was running Google Pay back in 2019, 2020, was really the champion of this product. And when he left Google earlier this year, I think that left a really big hole. There were some reports a few weeks ago in uh, in mostly the, uh, the Apple Mac related publications because they just love to bash Google. And they were bashing Google for... Um, uh, for people, uh, I guess they were experiencing some uh, some personnel uh, d- um, defections out of the Google pay division and that was probably another sign that that something was wrong there. And so I, I think ultimately, uh, you know it's a pretty good bet that this got killed because of lack of internal sponsorship. Mm-hmm. but I think there's a second potential uh, factor that could have played into this and of course you know Google is very big in the cloud and that's a different division from an organizational perspective at Google. The, the Plex product was part of the Google Pay group. The Google Cloud is obviously its own division. And there seemed to be a couple of comments that suggested that perhaps they were getting some pressure from some of their big either customers or prospects on the Google Cloud side saying, you know, well, why are you guys looking for us to do more business with you on the cloud side when you're competing with us on the checking account side? That could have been some factor in it. Uh, I think that's all speculation, but I think it's a pretty good bet that the first one around lack of uh, executive sponsorship was, you know, the real nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Well, the interesting thing that I when I, I was doing some research earlier today, and you know those two executives that um, were really the champ, the internal champions. You 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 quoted the Business Insider P, uh, article in your piece. You know, Felix Lin and Siva Sengupta, Um They've both gone on and started a new venture now, and it's uh, you know they, they, there's nothing to it. They just, they just got like a holding, uh, uh, like a just a splash page up, but. Financial services innovation is what it's all about. So really interesting to see. I mean, to me, is this the? I mean, as you like, this is just I think huge news. Is this? I mean, a tech company is really going to be, um, you know, is this is this unique to Google or is this something that other tech companies are going to have to rethink? Uh, you know, because obviously, you've got Apple is it, Apple is different. It doesn't actually have. Does not sell cloud services like Google? But it does have a browser. Um, but then you've also got um, Amazon, of course, that uh, is the biggest player in cloud services. So, what's what's it all mean for the future of big tech and financial services?
1: Yeah, I don't think you can lump them all together into a single group. To tell you the truth, I think there's a real dichotomy between Amazon and Google's approach and Apple versus Apple and Facebook. Apple and Facebook seem to really be taking a direct-to-consumer, stick it in your face to financial institutions, we don't care about you, we're going to make all our money that we can, and, you know, witness the um, the, the, the recent news that banks are complaining to Visa about Apple's, uh, and the Apple Pay fees on, on, uh, re, uh, on recurring payments and so forth. And obviously, they've always taken a, a cut of the uh, overall interchange and, and fees on the uh, on Apple Pay products. And Facebook too with its uh, DM or whatever they whatever they call that stuff no, today. It's Novi.
0: Novi. Yeah, the,
1: uh, and so, you know, they're going their own way. But when you look at Google and Amazon, it's a bit different. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Amazon made news when it re- announced that it had uh, issued a um, billion dollars worth of merchant cash advances in that particular year. And the press, of course, jumps all over that saying, oh, look, Amazon's getting into financial services. They're going to put banks out of business. But a couple of years later, what did Amazon do? It partnered with uh, Marcus out of Goldman Sachs to not only provide merchant cash advances, but to provide uh, small business loans to the merchants. And at the time, they, you know, quote, leaked a wireframe of a broader marketplace that it was going to offer. I think both both Amazon and and Google see themselves as more platforms and you know ultimately providers of technology to financial services firms versus competing with them. Whereas Apple and Facebook seem to uh, be sticking their middle fingers up at the financial institutions and saying, you know, we're coming after you. We're we're going after it our, ourselves. So I think it's a little unfair to just whitewash everything with the big tech firm. I think there's some real differences. But ultimately, I'll tell you guys, I I don't think that it was you know regulatory issues or compliance right. things that that killed this product. I, I think it was simply internal politics and, and internal support. Mm-hmm.
2: I do. I you know the 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 other piece of it, uh, the unfortunate piece, is some of those partners that they were partnering with who were kind of caught way by surprise. You, you would have thought that at least they would have kind of. <laughs> reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, this is coming. And, um, you know, it, it seemed, especially reading your piece that it was, it, they were totally caught by surprise. Um, you know, someone like BM technologies, uh, and others that are, you know, and, and this would have, potentially been a huge boom for them compared to you know say a JP Morgan or a Bank of America who already you know has the title of arguably the largest bank in the US some smaller player connects with Google and all of a sudden it could be a game changer for their bank
1: yeah yeah i got to tell you guys i i was surprised that the partners were surprised and in right. fact i think it was uh bm uh bm technologies you know what used to be called bank mobile i think they actually made a statement you know, maybe a week or so before, you know, expressing, you know, their expectation that this was still coming. I'm a little surprised because, you know, if you're one of their partners and you're told, yeah, we're going to launch this in Q3 uh, and around Q2, there's no word or, you know, they're stringing them along. I mean, at some point you got to look up and go, something's wrong here, you know, even if, and I'm sure they're under some real, you know, you know, tight uh, contractual arrangement arrangements around what they can publicly say. Because I know that I actually interviewed a whole bunch of the partners last year. I said, what have you seen? What can you tell me? They're like, nothing. We can't tell you right. anything. <laughs> I remember <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm sure that, you know, they were under some some strict contractual right. guidelines. But come on. I mean, you, you, these are these are banks and credit unions that deal with tech vendors all the time, who, you know, tell them about their roadmaps that never come to fruition. And so... It, it couldn't have come as a surprise, although it apparently it did for some of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we need to move on. We've got other stories we want to cover this week. Uh, we saw a return of um, postal banking, which you know it just seems to be the idea that doesn't die i mean you know there's a lot of there's a lot of democratic uh P- democrats in congress who are really keen on this idea um and but you know and there, and there is now a pilot in place in four cities in this country it's 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 part, you can't really call it postal banking it's more like postal check cashing right now because it's just really one product cashing a check the check has to be under $500 as well in four different cities um uh, but you know, is I feel like the yeah you know, the postal. You would service- think,
2: like I, I see this, and it's like you would think that the regulators would get together with all these fintech companies and and even some of the smaller banks, and say, how can we come up with something that makes more sense than going to the post office? Right. Like to me, I just don't. I I I, I don't know how they came up with. I know the postal banking idea has been out there for a while, but I don't know with everything. Happening in financial services these days in fintech, why they would go that route instead of maybe a consortium of fintechs or community banks and fintechs? And uh, to me, I it, the postal banking idea just doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, Ron, I'll wait in here too. Uh, you know, first <laughs> of all, this is politics; it's not even banking, um, yeah. and that's what makes this a really touchy conversation. Because I don't want to really, you know, offend anybody and get into politics. But, you know, from a political perspective, it was actually a fairly smart move. Although, you know, for the record, I'm, I'm really not in favor of this idea in the least bit. But from a political perspective, it was actually a pretty smart move, guys, because what the post office is doing right now is nothing, than, nothing other than what they've already done, issuing the, these prepaid cards. And so, you know, they're just doing it now with a different source of funds being third party checks. Right. But I think what they're doing is is smart from a political perspective because they're kind of inching their way into this. You know, they'll say this was our pilot test. Look how successful it was. Therefore, we should expand versus trying to create, you know, the postal bank altogether, all in one. So it, it's 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 an interesting move from a political perspective. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I think this is so much politics here. You know, I tweeted yesterday. I said, you know, I still haven't seen any data that says that p- consumers actually want this. right? And the response I got back from people was, well, this is what the pilot is for. In fact, even the uh, chief innovation officer of the FDIC got on my case saying, you know, well, let's see what the data, um, you know, turns up. And, and my take is that because we're talking politics here, that whatever data comes out will be spun to be positive yeah. for, for for postal, postal banking. So uh, we'll see where this goes. But... Uh, I think the bank lobby is going to be pretty strong on this one. I also
2: don't like, yeah. And you make a good point about the politic angle. I do think though that it's shown time and time again that the current politicians don't truly understand fintech and, and the banking and financial system. And I think it would also suit them if going the other direction to better understand how some of these fintech and financial services firms operate versus a postal, uh, banking. Um, but that's obviously a a larger, different discussion, but, uh, that, that was kind of part of my thinking behind it too. It just seems like they're, they're just not up to, uh, you know, the standard we need them to be in terms of understanding how the financial system works and how all these different pieces play with each other in the financial system.
0: Right. And they're not talking opening bank accounts. I mean, they're, they're not yet anyway. Yeah. they are just talking about doing things. They like pretty much, as Ron said, or pretty much already do. It's just uh, a slight, a slight tweak. But anyway, let's move on. Um, article in American banker this week, that I thought was interesting, and I, I don't. I think that they may have about buy now, pay later. We we talk about buy now, pay later every single week on this show, just because it's there's news every single week. It feels like for the last three months, um, and this particular piece talking about one of the one of the driving factors, and I don't think it's actually a huge factor to be honest. But that was reporting on the fact that. You know, card was clamped down on on new cards at the big at the you know the start of the pandemic I mean and and they also dropped uh, people's credit lines um and you know they the, this just drove people away from credit cards people got annoyed and and they wanted the personalization and the, and the whole controlling of your spending but i you know I, I think this is one factor. Oh, the 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 consumer has basically made it pretty clear that they like buy now pay later. They like these the control of having, you know, four equal payments or or a short term a short term loan. Um, but what do you guys think? Is uh, you know, do you think this was you know, the credit card issue was kind of shot themselves in the foot here?
1: Well. I think it's, I hate, I don't want to sound critical of American bankers, not that they call me every day anyway, anymore, but um, <laughs> uh, so maybe they won't listen and they won't hear this, but I think they were kind of stretching for a story here, to be honest with you. It's kind of like saying that the current, you know, the, the, the traditional lenders fueled the fintech lending boom post 2008 when they clamped down on 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 bad borrowers, you know, on, on poor credit risks. Uh, of course, people are going to go, if, if they're not getting credit from where they've gotten it before, they're going to find it from somewhere else. But that's not news. It, it, it's not newsworthy to to kind of mention that. I actually thought that the angle was going to be that the the credit issuers helped fuel the buy now, pay later boom by letting people Pay their buy now, pay later bills with their with their credit cards, mm-hmm. uh, which of course you know after a while Capital One kind of clamped down on and, and said we're not doing that anymore. So uh, you know that in and of itself is isn't real newsworthy, um, and I will uh, probably you know get skewered for this one. I, I still think that this buy now, pay later thing is an outsized. Uh, you know, trend that that's getting way too much press and attention and will will go away sometime in the future um, when this kind of dies out a little bit. Um, Yeah, until until or unless I, I think the real opportunity for buy now, pay later is not as a post payment, but as a mechanism to help drive sales in the first place. And, you know, what's funny is if you go back, what, 60, 70 years now, wasn't that the whole premise behind credit cards? Was that it helped merchants, you know, create uh, or enable them to have larger transaction sizes because it would enable people to buy things that they didn't have to pay for right away. So until that gets really proven out and gets proven out that it's really driving the merchants' bottom top and bottom lines, um, I, I still think this is an out, you know, a little bit of an outside sto- outsized story. Okay,
2: I mean, I the- did. There's some early data that shows it's definitely helping with sales, but I also think the other angle to it is that, you know, there's going to be bad outcomes here uh, and the regulators are going to get involved and, and, you know, the market's going to then be like really defined. I don't think it's really been defined yet. I think there's a lot of interesting things happening. I think some of it's good in the sense that we figure out what consumers want and, and how their buying patterns are and, um, you know, then there'll be some bad outcomes, then regulation will come in and it'll kind of begin to set where the market is and, and maybe redefine what credit cards mean, maybe not. Um, but you know, I still think there's so much more left to find out about the space. Um, I think it's going to stay around for a while. Um, I just don't know where it's going to go once some bad things happen and, and regulators begin really digging into what some of this means.
0: Well, I'll, I'll agree that I think it's it's certainly overhyped. Um, there's no question. I think some of the companies in the space are, are, are well and truly overvalued as well. But I still think, I, it's sort of I'm with Todd, that I think it's going to be a payment mechanism for, uh, for the next 50 years. But uh, let's, uh, let's move on. Um, Facebook i wanted to talk about facebook in the uh, they went down on monday for six plus hours and uh and that's you know that's really neither here nor there as far as i'm concerned but what i think is interesting is the 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 novi um you know digital payments uh you know initiative that was called dm and, and now it's called novi that went down as well i mean obviously we taught all of facebook um, all of facebook's properties went down but i was just wondering Thing that I thought was interesting is if we, if, if no, if this has happened in three years time and Novi has got traction and there's all these, there's people using it and, you know, it's it's obviously got a massive user base. So there could be literally millions of transactions a day going through this thing and, um, and it goes down for six hours. That's, uh, like Visa and MasterCard don't go down for six hours. So I, I just wanted, like, to me, this is a story that is another kind of negative shall we say uh you know against uh facebook's payments
2: initiatives what do you guys think
1: Todd? i'll let you go first i don't want to dominate here
2: <laughs> no I, I mean i agree and it's also it's you know another piece of the you know the crypto the wallet uh the coin uh story in the sense that you know before they're fully regulated they're not helping themselves out Uh, (laughs) i mean you know it's it just seems like that some of these mistakes keep on happening and while there's lots of people annoyed at the sec and, and personally i think the sec is is you know not uh interacting enough with some of these companies to understand maybe where the boundaries are they're also not helping themselves in any way when you have issues like this or when you know certain um companies maybe skewer the sec it's like the only way it really is going to stay is if it intermingles and, and becomes a part of the traditional financial system. Because if it doesn't, then it's still going to be this little conglomerate of you know really hardcore uh, people. But that's such a small minority than getting into the regular financial system. And I think that's where the focus should be. And it just still doesn't seem like it's that that is the focus right now. And I think there's there's real problems in the space uh, going forward.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Todd. And you know as much as I'd like to bash Facebook, I, I don't necessarily see see this necessarily as just a Facebook problem. It's really a problem from a mobile payments perspective in general, which is uh, there needs to be better, I'll call them offline uh mechanisms but uh, you know they're, they're not non-computing me- mechanisms it's not like it's we're talking about oh you got to start you know uh, transcribing your transactions with paper and pencil <laughs> but there's got to be a way to have you know an offline mechanism for 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 uh tracking and capturing the transactions if the network goes down or if something like that goes down um, and i don't think that that facebook apparently doesn't have it in place yet uh, but I think it's a general problem, potential problem for just mobile payments in general that um, there needs to be some sort of better backup system uh, in, in case of you know network failure.
0: Mm-hmm yeah for sure um okay want to move on to us bank this is i think the the largest bank the number 5 bank in the country the largest bank that is going to offer a bitcoin custody service it's going it's in partnership with uh with nidig um, that is seems to be getting uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these uh these partnerships closed in recent in recent weeks and months um you know i feel like for, you know, it just it's it's another kind of mainstreaming, shall we say, of crypto where and you, you, you know, I read the article, CNBC broke the story and they, um, you know, you read there where basically U S bank went out to their big institutional clients and they said, yep, we want you to do, we want you to do this. So another, no, another big, uh, another big bank taking on Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I'll jump in. I love this. Love, love, love it. I don't think U S bank gets enough credit uh for being as innovative over the past couple of years as it has been give uh, Dem, Dom Ventura there a lot of credit uh, quietly building a lot of innovative capabilities there. Uh, I like it for a couple of reasons. Um, I actually did some consumer research at the end of last year and I asked consumers who had um, had already helped, was holding some form of cryptocurrency, whether it was Bitcoin, Ethereum, or whatever, and asked uh, you know if you could get crypto from your bank, you know how interested would you be in it? And a, a huge percentage of consumers who already had crypto. Were interested in doing so and among consumers who expressed an interest in getting crypto at some point in the next year or two said that they'd be very interested in getting it from the from their banks it's interesting when i talk to banks and share that data this is like the new religious argument in banking you know it used to be about bank branches whether they were dead or alive and, and now the big uh, argument is should we get into crypto or not mm-hmm. and it's interesting that you know a lot of the detractors or naysayers you know point to the volatility in 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 crypto as a reason why they shouldn't get into it to which i point to a number of stocks that have declined 80 or 90 percent in the past year i said you don't stop your customers from buying those you don't stop your customers from using your debit card to purchase alcohol or cigarettes or other things that aren't good for them so why are you going to stop them from buying something that they want and they're saying they Want this from you, so uh, I, I give U.S. Bank a lot of credit for listening to consumers, what they want to their customer base, for getting out there, being on the on the leading edge of this.
2: I mean, I'm not the big regulatory guy personally, but I think, I mean, the banks. I don't know why they wouldn't be jumping into this. They can essentially help write these rules with Congress and the SEC, the FDIC. I mean, everyone they intermingle with because the bank lobby is super powerful, and they can help. Um, get this along in the way that would be safest for them essentially Um, and it seems like it's you know they're not jumping in as as much as maybe they should Um, i agree on on the u.s bank point uh, especially Uh, the one thing about them is that you know unlike other banks they don't tout their stuff a lot (laughs) they kind of just under the radar and they're um you know constantly Um, You know, doing good thing and good and interesting things, um, but they're not as um, hungry, I guess, for that PR (laughs) press, maybe some other banks, but I think banks could really help define where the crypto rules are uh, if they wanted to. Uh, And I think maybe they will. I just, you know, they haven't all jumped in just yet. Right, right. Well,
0: speaking of defining crypto rules, we did have the the SEC Chairman Gary Gensler testify in front of the House, uh, the House Committee on Financial Services uh, this week. Well, it was it was a pretty wide ranging uh, testimony. I mean, CrowdFund Insider uh, wrote a good piece. Andrew Dix or JD JD Alloy um, wrote a good piece about it. Um, and uh, yeah, basically, he was they were trying to get him to declare whether or not you know, different tokens were securities and um, and it was he was hedging his hedging his time hedging his bets on that. Um, but he also had a lot to say about stablecoins and about how they're using basically using it to avoid you know, uh, AML um, rules and, uh, and and tax rules. So it was it was a pretty interesting. I don't know if you, you caught any of that, but what do you you know any thoughts on uh, on the SEC chairman?
1: I'll pass on that one. I'm uh, not too deep in that one, Todd.
2: Uh, it just it feels like there's a lot of um, standing your own ground right now on, on kind of both sides. Um, and I think the only way it, it gets, and, and granted, the, the, it's not necessarily the regulator's job to go out and seek these companies. I think some, you know, in some, uh, you know, administrations and, and the people they put in certain places did it more. But really, I think the industry should be trying to knock down the door and, and show everyone within the SEC, within all the regulatory agencies, exactly how uh, their businesses work and, and you know what can we do to help write the rules? What can we do to give you more clarity? What can we do to answer any questions? And it seems like right now there's too much, especially publicly, too much fighting back and forth. And I think there, if I was in the crypto industry running a company, I'd be trying to talk to someone every day about my business. Because there's no way it's going to eventually survive, without, like I said earlier, being somewhat intermingled within the financial system. Right, right. And there
0: is the last, the last story I want to get on today was a story in Bloomberg last night. I thought it sort of um, was 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 really interesting. Talking about in the uh, we've seen this massive rise in in fintech companies, and everyone's there's a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, valuations are going up and money sloshing around and we haven't seen any major failures yet in this country and we've seen them in the UK with Wirecard and Greensill. And um, I feel like, you know, that what the article was basically saying is that the government um, is really, you know, fintech is moving so fast and the last 18 months have been incredibly fast um, as far as growth and new products and all those kinds of things and, and regulators are really struggling. And, and now, eventually we are gonna see a fintech blow up. There's no question. Then. What always happens in that situations is the government tends to overreact. But the the base of the point was regulators right now um, couldn't couldn't keep up. They couldn't have kept up. They weren't keeping up before the pandemic, and now it's even more difficult.
2: Well, I mean, they they I think they both need to try harder uh, personally. <laughs> I mean, it, but it's you know especially the fintech industry. I mean, there's definitely going to be a blow up. And it's probably because the company is doing something they shouldn't be doing. And the more fintech companies that are showing the regulators what they're doing, the safer that will all ultimately be. And the rules will be defined uh, in a, a collaborative way versus, all right, well, we see you did something wrong. Now we'll just clamp down this way.
1: Yeah, this is a messy situation, and I think you, Todd, you're kind of alluding to, to part of the the, the challenge here. I tell you that most of the finan- fintech companies that I talk to um, uh, have directors of, of com- compliance. Um, you know, are, are want to be regulated. They want to be part of the system. They don't. You know, they're not looking to. You know do stuff that, that's kind of out of the boundaries. They want to be part of the system. They want to do this right. Uh, you know, you can always point to, to big failures like like Wirecard and Greensill, which, you know, really more about their in, in lack of internal controls than it is about the lack of regulatory uh, oversight and compliance. So, you know, it's kind of a messy situation. I think the, it's interesting. I was on a panel at Money 2020 a couple of years ago with a former lawyer from the CFPB, and the question was, uh, can regulators keep up with the pace of change in technology? Uh, I argued no. She argued yes, and it was the I think the only time in my life I ever won an argument with a lawyer because <laughs> um, you're right. They can't keep up with the pace of change from a regulatory perspective. But uh, you know, I I don't like the the portraying of fintech as rogue players who are you know, looking to buck the system necessarily—that's that's not what I see with a lot of the fintech uh, companies that I I talk to.
0: Right. No, yeah, it was, I certainly wasn't certainly wasn't implying that. I just uh, it, it just. No, it I seems... didn't think
1: you were implying it, but I think sometimes the press implies that. Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For
0: sure. Anyway, we are out of time. Um, that, that, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much, Ron, for joining us. Uh, thank you, Todd. We'll be back same time next week, five p.m. Eastern time. And thanks very much for
1: listening. Bye. Thanks. For Thanks. You guys. Yep. See ya.